turn to the book of Romans chapter 6. We're continuing our study on discipleship, uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the act of believing in Jesus, that disciples believe in Jesus. This week we're going to talk about growing up in Jesus. Uh, a few years ago I watched a documentary on uh, the lead singer of a band that many of you maybe have never heard of, Green Day. His name is Billy Joe Armstrong. And if you've never heard of him, it doesn't matter. Uh, but this is, who, this is uh, the documentary that I watched. Uh, Green Day began as a punk rock band. Some of you maybe are familiar with punk rock and, and the, the kind of music that is and the kind of culture that surrounds punk music. Punk music is, and punk rockers in particular, are separatist. They, they want to be counter-cultural. And so they remove themselves from the culture and they try to make music that is different than all the popular music that's out there and is, and quite honestly, really hard to listen to. And, and they make it really hard to listen to because if you can listen to their music, well, it means you're part of their crowd, okay? It's counter-cultural. And it doesn't fit in, well... Billy Joe Armstrong and Green Day got popular in the early 90s, and their band got more and more popular, and with their popularity, they sold albums, they sold these punk rock albums, and inevitably with that, they made money. And with money and more success came more opportunity, and there were cries coming from this countercultural punk rock community that said, that Green Day and Billy Joe Armstrong had sold out. They had rejected the whole idea of being a punk in favor of being popular. And this documentary was talking about this transition that Billy Joe Armstrong, Billy Joe Armstrong went through. And he said something at the very end of this documentary that was important. And the, the person interviewing him said, what do you say to those people that says, say you've sold out? And he said, I say to them, I didn't sell out. I grew up. There's nothing more pathetic than a 40-year-old man making 18-year-old music. He said, I got, I got married. I had children. I had a house. I had employees. I grew up, and I stopped making those music. that music. I didn't sell out. See, growing up is part of life. Growing up is part of your natural life as well. And whenever we read the scriptures, the apostles are always going back to this theme of growing in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you will be growing. And we see that again today in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Let's read this together. Let me read this for you. And then we'll ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Paul says this, What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in worshiping him, or in in understanding this word. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. And I pray that you would help us to understand these deep and eternal truths of growing more and more to be like Jesus Christ. I pray that we would hear these things and learn these things, but that we would actually grow to be more like Jesus for your sake and for your glory. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at this passage in three different ways. Uh, We're going to look at looking back, looking back at who you were. Then we're going to look around at who you are. And then finally, we're going to look ahead at who you're becoming. So the first point is looking back. And let me just give you the context of this passage. We're dropping in in the middle of Paul's great letter to the Romans. Uh, the, The letter to Romans is Paul's fullest, most clear treatment of what is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, And it is clear, if you can kind of work through and and kind of, you know, pull apart everything that he's saying, there's a lot of stuff in here. It's one reason why I'm afraid to preach from the book of Romans uh, and and really preach the whole book, because I think it would take me five years to do it. But but there's a lot in here. Well, let me just give you a summary of it, the context of it. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul says that everyone is in the same position. There's religious people. Uh, who think they're doing good, but they're actually sinning against God. There's irreligious people who are sinning against God. And then there's people who don't know what they are, but they, you know, they, they're law keepers, but they're still sinning against God. Everyone is in the same position before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And then from that point, he launches into the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, At the end of chapter 3, he deals with what does it mean to be saved, to be justified, declared righteous before God. And then there's all sorts of objections that he begins to deal with in chapters 4 and 5. What about the Old Testament? How does the law fit into it? How do God's people fit into it? So in chapters 4 and 5, he deals with those. And he ultimately ends in chapter 5 and he says, Look, Jesus died. One man died for the sin of all sinners who have faith in him so that they can be saved. And it's a one man's life for your life. Imputation of Christ's righteousness, his life atoning for you. But then that question kind of comes up. If I'm saved by the grace of God, it's the free gift of God, it's nothing that I've done, well, can't I live my life anyway? So chapter 6, verse 1, you can look there. What shall we then say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, well, can I live my life any way that I want to? Some people are saying that. If I'm saved, I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card, I'm good to go. 
I can sin and do whatever I want. Should I continue in sin so that I can get more grace? And he says, by no means, absolutely not. You cannot continue to do that. You're united in Jesus. If you're united to Jesus, then you cannot continue to be united to sin. Well, then you get to our section in chapter, uh, or verse 15, chapter 6, 15. Another objection. What then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? If we're not under the law any longer, can I continue in sin? Can I do whatever I want to do because God's just going to be kind and give me his grace anyway? And his answer, again, is by no means. In the strongest terms possible, this is emphatic in the Greek, he says, absolutely not. Are you crazy? You cannot continue in sin if you are in Jesus Christ. That's kind of the, that's the, the content of this, or, or the context of this, before he gets into the, the content of answering this objection. You cannot continue in sin. All right. Just because you won't face the wrath of God, just because you won't suffer the wrath of God, does not mean you should continue in sin. Because, ultimately, what he says is, a drastic change has occurred in your life. There has been a transfer that has happened. And look at the language that he uses all throughout this. You once were obedient slaves, slaves to sin. That's who you were. Looking back at who you were, you were obedient to your master sin. But now you're no longer slaves to sin. You are slaves to God. Sin was your master, and what did that do? Well, look at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, so you used to be obedient to sin, which meant you were impure, and you presented yourself to slay as a slave of impurity. What did that lead to? And to lawlessness, and then lawlessness to more lawlessness. Over and over and over, that's what was happening. And then at the very end of this, that very famous verse, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That word wages there is the payment that soldiers would receive for doing their duty. For the payment that you receive for doing your duty of sin, what did you get from that? You got death. That is who you were. And the apostles do this and all, all throughout the New Testament. They look back at who you were. In order to better understand who you are, you need to remember that. Can you continue in sin? Absolutely not, because you are not a slave to sin. Something has happened to you. A transfer has occurred. Well, here's my hope. My hope is that you can actually look back and say, yes, that's who I was I used to be a slave to sin. That when Paul says these things, that, that I was a slave to impurity and to lawlessness, and that lawlessness that I was enslaved to led to more and more lawlessness. And ultimately, my life was one of death. I hope that that describes who you were. But the trouble with good church-going folks is that sometimes we think that we're okay. And we don't actually think that that describes who we were. That's what the, the predicament that Martin Luther was in in the 16th century. He was a good monk. He was a professor of theology at a well-known seminary. 
He was bright and brilliant. And in terms of righteousness, he was incredible. I guarantee you no one in this room, probably all of us combined, could not match the goodness of Martin Luther. He would flog himself whenever he sinned. He would lay on the floor with his nose pressed up against, uh, against the you know, face down, praying night after night because he felt the weight of his sin. He was good, and yet he didn't have Jesus. And he realized that none of his goodness, none of his goodness that he did mattered before God because he was a slave to sin apart from Jesus Christ. The trouble with good Christian folks is that maybe you think this doesn't describe who you were. It actually might describe who you are now. And all of your attempts to be good and righteous, maybe you're holding that up instead of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I read uh, a, a, a guy on Twitter, a pastor on Twitter, uh, a pretty famous, well-known pastor, not in our circles, but in some other circles, put on Twitter that his wife of 20 years, who'd been raised by a pastor, finally came to know Jesus. After being married for 20 years to a pastor, after being raised by a pastor, she did not believe in Jesus, and she didn't know it until it happened. That might describe you. If it's true, it can be true of a pastor's wife. It certainly can be true of you. Does that describe who you were? Or does it describe who you are? The call for you is to come to Jesus Christ if that describes who you are now. If you are a slave to sin still. So Paul looks back at who you were. But then he begins to look around. And he says, well, look around at who you are now. Um, a few weeks ago, I was talking to um, the Munns. We were talking about the pleasant weather we were having. Uh, and I mentioned the, that the beautiful thing about living in South Louisiana is that we get two springs, right? We get a really long summer, but at least when fall comes, we get spring-like weather for a couple weeks. And then we get spring again sometime uh, in a couple weeks in March we'll get spring again so we kind of get two springs but I left something out and I, and, I, and I didn't realize it until this past week getting ready for Thanksgiving yes we get spring like weather but you know what we have in the fall we still have to pick up leaves and they are everywhere and I was grumbling and complaining about the fact that I had to pick up these leaves because I'm you know the weather was nice and pleasant but there's all these gross leaves around but you know what those leaves indicate do you know what those leaves mean? It means that growth is happening. And Paul says, I want you to look around at who you are and what's happening to you today. He says, you have been transferred from your slavery to sin into now you are still a slave, but you're a slave to Jesus Christ. It's like in Star Trek where they would say, Captain Kirk would say, beam me up, Scotty. You have been beamed up transferred from whatever foreign planet you were on, whatever alien planet called sin that you were on, you have been beamed up and taken out of that place. You know, Jesus did not come to make us religious people. The reality is, is that all people everywhere are always religious. Everyone is worshiping something. He didn't come to make you religious. Jesus did not come to give you a pep talk. He didn't come to make you live your best life now or anything like that. He didn't come to give you good advice for you to follow. 
And he didn't come to merely set a good example for you. Now, he did all of those things, but that's not his primary purpose in coming. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus came to save sinners from their sin. And it's like after Katrina, um, you know, we didn't see these things because we didn't have electricity. But all over the world, people saw, saw videos of helicopters swooping in and saving people off of their roof. And back in 2016, when the floods hit Baton Rouge, there were dramatic scenes of rescue. One in particular of a woman who, who was trying to drive her little Mazda Miata through about 17 feet of water. And for the first couple of feet, her Miata floated on top of the water. And a boat saw her doing it, a boat with three guys in it, and they came along. And after a while, they saw her inside frantically trying to get out of her little Mazda Miata. And then the front end sunk down and went under, and then the car slowly sunk down further and farther. And it was this woman and her dog in the car with her. And the car went under the water, and the men jumped in, broke the window, and, and all of a sudden you see these men in the water, and an arm is reached out, and they pull her out, and they pull her dog out, and she was rescued and saved. And that's the picture of what Jesus Christ does for us. He jumps in the water. He pulls us out of our sin and he brings us to the dry ground. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You were transferred the kingdom of sin and death and wrath to the kingdom of righteousness and life and the favor of God. Jesus took the penalty that we deserved and he rescued us from our sin. Now I have to do something at this point in the passage I have to do something that I dread doing. I have to point out the grammar. And I'm sorry, but the grammar here is really, really important. As you read through this passage, there's a couple things that really stand out. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. And then you skip down a little bit in verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. And then again, he says almost the exact same thing in verse 22. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Now what's happening in all of those words and all the things that he's saying there is that you see that this is in the passive voice. Meaning, it's not in the active voice. In the active voice, you are the one that's doing something. In the passive voice, something is being done to you. And over and over in Paul's writing, he is saying something has happened to you. You haven't done it yourself, but you have been the recipient of something. And so you have become, not of your own doing, obedient. You have been set free because someone has set you free. Over and over and over, it's the passive voice you have received this great rescue. Things have been done, but they haven't been done because you did them. They've been done for you by someone else. In other words, you have not transferred yourself from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You were ripped out of that kingdom and set into the new kingdom. Jesus has made you who you are. You are a child of God, and you have been set free from sin. Is that you? Have you been 
set free? Have you received that rescue, that salvation? Uh, for whatever reason, I'm not even sure why I'm, I've thought about this, but there's a common story that happens for, for kids that go off to college. Maybe you've experienced this when you sent your kids off to college or you've heard this. The common story is this. Parents want their children to be protected and want them to do well. And so before they send their kids off to college, they join their bank account with their child's bank account so that whenever the child gets in some kind of issue or they need to pay for books or they need to pay for something, they need to get a bite to eat or something along those lines, they have the money that they need to do that. And if something happens and they accidentally spend too much, they have the parent's bank account that kicks in, that takes care of whatever so that they don't go into debt. Maybe you've heard that story. Well, here's what that means for the student. Their debts are covered. They are taken care of. And they can live in confidence knowing that they will not be in trouble, there will not be issues going forward, that every time they need to pay for something, it's paid for. Someone has to pay their debts, though, right? Someone has to pay it. And the reality is that their parents pay their debts. It's not as though they're not incurring debts. They have been paid for. Jesus has covered your debts, and you are free in Christ. Uh, I know that story well. It's a story that I've heard very often. Um, uh, one of my roommates in college had that. Uh, he had the privilege of a parent that did that for him. And we had so much fun that semester. <laughs> I mean, we ate the finest foods and you know, had the greatest toys. I think he bought a TV for us and all of those things. I never asked where it was coming from. Until one day, there was a knock on the door at 9 o'clock at night. And his mom was there to say, do you know where all these charges came from? He was from Denton, Texas. She drove all the way from Denton, Texas. She didn't call. She said, we need to talk. <laughs> but the debt was covered. It was paid for. The transfer had happened. The mom's money became his money. And the next semester, it was a little bit different. Let me just tell you. <laughs> But look around at who you are. Have your debts been covered by Jesus Christ? Have you been set free from sin? Have you been rescued? Well, then what Paul does is he wants you to look ahead. Who are you becoming? And this is the growing in Christ part. But you got to look back and you got to look around before you understand where you're going. Twice in this passage, he uses a very big word. He uses the word sanctification. At the end of verse 19, and then again in verse 22, he uses that word, sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a word that means it's similar to the word justification, but justification is the act of God's free grace that he, he declares us righteous. He says, you are righteous. You are not guilty of your sin. He pardons you from all of your sin. He saves you. That's justification. Sanctification is not an act, a one-time act or a declaration, but it's the ongoing work of God in the life of believers. Where you, by God's grace, are more and more enabled to live for Jesus Christ. 
you're enabled more and more to live as a Christian should live. And you do that by dying to sin or killing sin and living to righteousness. You sin less and less and you do good things more and more. Again, that's not something that you do in and of yourself. You do it because God enables you to do it by the work of the Spirit. It's still a work of His grace, and that's what He means. That you, in your Christ-given righteousness, are being sanctified. You're growing. And He uses um, He uses biological, organic terms here to describe that. When you were slaves to sin, verse 20, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you, of which you are now ashamed. He uses an organic illustration, that the idea of fruit. Before you were in Christ, you were bearing fruit. Everyone bears fruit. Uh, another way to think about it is everyone is, is a tree. Every one of us is bearing some kind of fruit. You're either bearing good fruit or you're bearing bad fruit. What Paul says is, before you were in Christ, you were bearing bad fruit. It was still fruit, but when you walk up to the fruit, let's say you're walking up to uh, a lemon tree, and you can see from a distance that it's a lemon tree, and you walk up and you want to get a nice lemon, and you see that it's just kind of brown and molded and nasty, and all of those lemons on that tree are exactly the same way. It's still a lemon tree, but it's a bad lemon tree. All people are either a good tree or a bad tree. Before you were in Christ, you were bearing bad fruit. And if you walk up to a bad tree and it's bearing bad fruit, if you have a, 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 a citrus tree in your yard or some kind of fruit tree in your yard, and you walk up to it and the fruit that you get from it is always bad, what do you determine about that tree? Well, there's something wrong with it. The soil it's bad. The roots are bad. It's not getting the nutrients that it needs. It's a bad tree. That's what you, that's what you see. And if you walk up to someone who is supposedly a Christian and you see the fruit that's coming out of their life and it's bad fruit, what are you supposed to assume about that person? Are they a Christian or not? If, if you, let me put it like this. I mean, don't, don't simply just look at someone next to you and say, oh, they're not bearing good fruit. What about you? What kind of fruit are you bearing? Are you bearing the fruit that leads to sanctification? Because that's what happens. Verse 22, But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, and the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. As Christians, we are to be, be becoming more like Jesus day by day by day. And as you grow more and more to be like Jesus, ultimately, what comes from that? You get the reward of eternal life. That's what's supposed to be happening. As Christians, we are to be growing in Jesus. As disciples of Jesus Christ, you are to be growing more and more to be like Jesus, to bear the fruit that you would expect to see from Christians. Now, here's the thing. Bearing fruit is not easy. It is not easy for a fruit tree to bear fruit. It requires a lot of work for that tree to do it. It requires pain, and it actually requires death. Now, right now in South Louisiana, a lot of citrus trees are bearing fruit. 
But shortly after those trees bear fruit, they're going to look dead. All the leaves are going to fall off them, and they're going to look like they are dead. But what's happening in those trees is growth. And sometimes that's the way that the Christian life looks. It may look like you're not growing. It may look like there's only death, but we need to wait a little while to see the growth that comes. Because for trees, fall and winter are important. It looks like right now all these oak trees are dying around us, but you know what's happening? They're growing. The rings on those trees are getting bigger and bigger. And eventually in the spring, we're going to wake up one day, and all of a sudden there's going to be these green leaves that are going to be shooting out of it. And then it's going to start producing fruit. Bearing fruit, growing in Christ, sometimes it's unnoticeable. And then it's there. At various times... You know, if you um, don't see the Dawson kids for a couple of weeks, like they won't, they're not here this week, and so next week I guarantee one of them will have grown two feet. And you're going to see him and go, you've grown. It happens like that sometimes. And for Christians, this is the way that organisms and organic things grow. Sometimes you don't even notice it, and it's happening. But the reality is you should be able to look back and see that it's happening. So the question is, are you growing as a Christian more and more like Jesus? We're not always in the same line of progress. Some of us are in winter right now, and some of us are in spring. Some of you are growing by leaps and bounds, and some of you feel like you're regressing. But if you're in Jesus Christ, whether it's summer, winter, spring, or fall, you're growing in Jesus. But are you growing? Well, let me just conclude by saying this. Um, we're having the Lord's Supper here today. Do you know why we do this? Often, we do it because it's one of the ordinary means of grace that God uses to grow his people. Uh, I have a, a relative of mine uh, who was a very picky eater. And for about three years of his life, he lived off of hot dog wieners and bread sometimes. That was it. That's what he lived off of. Every meal, he would eat like eight hot dog wieners and bread. Well, he would go to the doctor, and the doctor would say, you know, we don't see the growth that we're supposed to see. We don't see the growth. What is he eating? What's happening? He's eating hot dog wieners. And that's it. He wasn't growing. He was becoming more and more malnourished. God has given his people ordinary things that we are to feed on to make us grow. And the Lord's Supper is the place where we can actually come and literally feed on Jesus Christ in a spiritual way to grow more and more into Jesus. If we forsake these things, then we're going to be like my relative who was trying to sustain himself on hot dog wieners and he wasn't growing. If you're not availing yourself of the ordinary means of grace that God gives, the Lord's Supper is one of those. The preaching and teaching of the Word of God is another one. Prayer is another one. And fellowship with other believers. These are the ordinary things that God gives us, the soil that we're growing into, the nutrients that we need to become more and more like Jesus. As disciples of Jesus Christ, are you growing? Are you making yourself available to the means that God uses to grow you? You have an opportunity to feast on Jesus, to receive the nutrients that he gives today in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for giving us this word today, and I pray that you would help us to take these things into ourselves to understand more and more that you are growing your people, that we should expect to see growth, that at times, yes, we're in the, the fall or the winter of our lives and we don't see that growth, and yet you are still at work. Help us and encourage us in that today. Help us to notice the places where you are growing us as your people. Help us to encourage each other to remind other people where uh, we see them growing. And help us to experience that growth more and more as we see Jesus working in our hearts. I pray that you would use this supper today as a way to encourage your people to help us and to give us the nutrients that we need. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.